child poverty in 2020. If it's good enough to spend it on infrastructure, we should be spending it on our children. And deporting Aussie crims. Mr Bridges' position is naive. She's talking from both sides of her mouth. Kia ora and welcome to One News Inside Parliament. It's a weekly catch-up where we discuss all of the political stories we've been covering this week on One News as we head towards September's election. I'm Mikey Sherman. I'm Jessica Much Mackay. And I'm Benedict Collins. And as usual, we'll kick it off with our peaks and our pits of the week. Jessica, do you want to start us off with your peak, perhaps? Yeah, I, I think perhaps, I, I'm not sure if it's a pit or a peak, but maybe just something that's noteworthy, of course, is Jamie Lee Ross seeing him um, in court. And I think that's something we don't, see very often um, in New Zealand and I think it was a fascinating thing to watch and to try and get some more answers out of that. So that was my not pit, not peak, but noteworthy. Yes, a sitting MP standing in the dock. Mm, very that was good. a nice line. Behind by Katie Bradford and Benedict, your peak or well, pit I, this week? I, I thought the most incredible thing for me about that was um, seeing Jamie Lee Ross outside the court walking you know, from the dock at the High Court outside to do yet another media stand up and saying oh, there's been no own goal here. Mm-hmm. Great, great <laughs> grab for yeah, television a, reporters. Yes, yeah, yeah. Um, it could be de- debated, I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, look, my pick this week uh, is Donald Trump, actually. Something abroad, Donald Trump's two-day visit to India. Um, you know, you don't usually see the US um, uh, president receive such a warm welcome, um, but I was I was quite surprised to see that, you know, they had people sort of line, lining the streets, sort of welcoming him, waving him, and the most interesting thing for me was when they went and interviewed people just out in the public, voxies we call them, uh, and uh, lots of people said, you know, that Donald Trump is a friend of India and that they were happy to see him so really interesting um, you know that he received that warm welcome also worth noting that Winston Peters and David Parker uh, were in India not that anyone noticed though and (laughs) your pit (laughs) Jessica Um, I think I've had a couple of pits I wasn't quite sure which one to pick I mean one of them is that um, we didn't win lotto and that was a bit disappointing we had a bit of a sweepstake going on Um, I guess the other thing as well is um, I just came back from a live cross now on um, the petrol prices the government's announced that it'll be um, bringing down um, the prices and trying to create more competition so not really a peak, but again, noteworthy. So I need to work on that for next week, having a pit and a peak rather than just something that I want to talk about. So there we go. <laughs> well, I'm going to ignore that completely. One really interesting she thing that's most happen- of the time happened at anyway. Parliament in the last week was um, uh, Martin Matthews, former Auditor General, who resigned in 2017 after a large-scale fraud was uncovered at the um, Ministry of Transport. And, and details around that fraud became more and more clear. He ended up resigning as Auditor General. He's now launched a petition trying to get compensation and, and suggesting he was forced out by the politicians who appointed him. So that's gone before Select Committee. And he, he back in 2017, he had asked for a review of his, his, his actions, basically. And Sue Martin Weavers had come and done a report that um, David Carter basically refused to to make public. Really interesting select committee. Uh, David Carter revealed that Martin Weavers had, had basically given him a massive kick up the backside and was furious that he hadn't released the report at the time. Um, Martin Matthews had asked him not to release the report, now it's been released. Um, yeah, and, and interesting he- hearing from Martin Weavers at this thing. He was he just said, look, he, he doesn't think there was a chief executive in the country who would have handled things the way that Martin Matthews did, especially once he became aware that the Australian Fraud and Extortion Unit um, 
were interested in Joanne Harrison, that she was a person of interest. Basically, he just let he said to her, "Oh, what's going on there?" And she said, "Oh, don't worry, I've got back to them, and it's nothing to do with me." And he just let it lie there. And um, Martin Weavers just thought that was, you know, unbelievable. So fascinating. That's going to keep on rolling uh, at Parliament. Maybe we should have a pit peak or fascinating section. Yeah, Maybe we'll do that. Yeah. Interesting yeah. stuff. Um, uh, my. Pit I will talk about this week is actually a story that I'm working on for tonight. Is it my pit? It's probably not mine, but it is Grey Powers and and a number of others. And that is that as of tomorrow, um, a couple of government-owned um, agencies, including uh, ACC, IRD, the Kiwi Bank, and New Zealand Post, will stop receiving and accepting cheques. And that's sort of gotten under the collar of a number of um, you know elderly in the community. Grey Power is getting behind a national party petition, uh, which we will reveal tonight. On one news um, they're launching that petition Grey Power's behind it we're also talking to a guy who's got dyslexia um, and says you know look it's just too hard for him to try and connect online um, and that you know the movement towards this digital future is just happening a bit too quickly for some of some of our elderly so um, take a look at that story when we chuck that up online later tonight as well. Checks are just so easy to you know behave fraudulently with though right but they it's do so make easy life easy though if you if you don't have great internet access if that's the way you feel safe doing it can't they just make an exemption for a few people do you for, know what I mean for a, for a couple of more years, years yeah. at least until you know that sort of older generation who mm. have only who, who didn't have the internet you know right yeah. the, the internet's still okay. rel- relatively in a couple new more years? then you can start to phase it out they may not, we may not I'm not going to talk about what happened in a couple of years. <laughs> yeah. okay. the, the, the well, let's let's segue out of that hole that Benedict <laughs> dug us into and talk about um, another story that you looked into this week, and that was the poverty statistics. Yeah, look, really interesting stuff. I mean, so we received um, the current state um, of our child poverty stats in New Zealand. Interesting because this is the first time that we're able to see how the government is tracking in terms of the targets that it set last year. So last year we sort of had the base numbers that we'll now be working off in terms of year 17, 18. Um, And so we're able to see the numbers and basically not a huge shift, not a big shift either way. Um, You know, a little decrease there um, uh, where it counts in terms of um, the number uh, the amount of money people have after they've paid the rent we saw 18,000 less or fewer children living in poverty so you know that's a good thing but it does only represent around a two percent shift now what I thought was interesting though is like it's kind of easy to get confused oh what are we talking about when you're talking about child poverty and, and you've got those baseline measures but in your track, you sort of summed it up. What are these people living without? It was like uh, fresh fruit and veggies, not able to pay the not the able to pay the bills on the bill. time, not yeah. able to go to the doctor. So that's that's represented under the material hardship yeah. um, sort of category, and um, no change there. Uh, I think it was a. 0.2% increase which represented around 4,000 kids, extra extra kids living in material hardship but when you look at the percentage of that 0.2% it's hardly worth talking about when you consider the margin of error as well so sort of remaining stubborn is how I described it. And I think one of the, the things that's interesting out of that is the, the way they measure it as well, pumping some more money into it so that this can be measured properly because the Prime Minister put it forward as a big thing that she wanted to personally change and improve in New Zealand and part of that is is getting obviously more more accurate information so I think it will be it's interesting now that we've got more data 
to play with so that that can actually be accurately yeah, tracked. Because previously they would only survey around 3,000 to 5,000 households. With that extra cash, they're now able to survey just over 20,000 households. So I think 21,000 is what they said they interviewed. So it's a, it's a way better picture um, of poverty in New Zealand. Just in terms of the government's targets, they set targets based on those things. How are they tracking? Well, it looks like they actually are on track, I must say, because, um, you know, for, for example, uh, reduce the, uh, the, the target for reducing um, income after they've paid the rent, they wanted to reduce it by uh, 3%. I think it was, um, and and so they've seen a two percent decrease there, which means you know in the next three years they probably will hit that target. The question then though is, were they too conservative when they set those targets, especially those short-term targets? If we're already on track, say after year one, were those targets too conservative? That's the question. And the children's commissioner. Um, it was really strong. Yeah, he was very it? strong. What, calling for a twenty percent, twenty percent immediate boost, increase, immediate yeah. benefits. increase to benefits, and it right? And that, like that's that what's going to raise tens of thousands. Yeah, and it feels poverty. like the pressure on that is building. I think we yeah. saw the welfare group report come back and say it was a it was an increase they wanted in the forty percentage. Um, the government, I think, is feeling that, and I think we may see some just, some changes. Just come those to ballooning food grants. Yeah. you know, it's just clear that people don't have enough money to live. Yeah, right. let's talk. EVs, um, which is something that you looked at this yeah. week. So I the, think it's this so is, interesting. It, yeah, fascinating. As um, Chris Bishop put it, dysfunction junction. So, <laughs> it's a nice line. So you had James Shaw go out late last week and said, oh, New Zealand First has killed off our fee-bait policy or clean car discount. So you, uh, policy basically where if if um, you bought a big you know, Land Rover, Range Rover kind of gas-guzzling car, you might pay up to an extra $3,000 in taxes. But the government was going to come in, you know, for your Nissan Leafs, your electric cars, you'd get a subsidy of up to $8,000, right? And the whole point is to encourage importers to bring in more efficient cars, you know, and make them cheaper for people, encourage them to get into hybrids, to plug in hybrids and into electrics. So James Shaw says it's killed. The National Party come out and celebrate on social media saying, ha, 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 this is because of our opposition, at which point, Winston comes out and says, no, it wasn't them that killed it, it was us. And then you had the Prime Minister come out on Monday and say, oh, no, 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 this is all still alive. And you had James Shaw saying, oh, we understand negotiations are still ongoing, having already thought that they'd killed it off. So no one, you know, James Shaw clearly doesn't know what's going on here. The Prime Minister's got a different point of view. Winston's claiming credit for Isn't killing this just it off. Like every day with and, a coalition government, though? This is what's yeah, such fun. And, and Tracy Martin on Facebook was fascinating as well. I was having a look at some of her posts um, to people who have been criticising her, saying, oh, the, you know, the Greens are a bunch of babies here. They're running off to complain to the media as soon as they don't get something, go their own way. And, and she actually said, oh, look, just the other day, the Greens blocked one of my initiatives that would have helped, helped to protect children from harm. Um, you don't see me running off to the papers, do you? It's, no, but I do see you commenting publicly on Facebook where the media can pick it up. Yeah, yeah, just fascinating little story. Yeah, look, it's interesting too, though, because obviously we recall and we spoke about it on this podcast that the advice from Treasury, uh, I think it was, uh, was that that EV scheme wouldn't really make an ounce of a difference. So I guess they could sort of point to that and say, look, it, you know, we had the official advice saying it was never going to make a huge dent in our emissions and so on. I mean, maybe they could use that. Yeah, I, I mean, I just think <clears throat> making them cheaper is going to encourage more people to. And that, more efficient cars. And I don't know whether you guys have looked into this. I've been having a look at it recently just for um, on a personal level. And it just seems like there's just not enough of that second car, second-hand electric car um, market out there at the moment. And you just think that 
it doesn't seem like rocket science that the government should just buy a whole lot of the crown cars should be electric the and don't get me wrong luxury electric cars we don't want ministers driving around in tiny little in smart cars we want them in big luxurious comfortable cars because it's their office but why not make them electric we invest so much in the BMWs at the moment why not do that the flow on effect of that is then you have a second hand market of cars that people can but but it's purchase. Yeah, but not just for ministers, right? You can, and I think part of the uh, rationale is to try and get government departments yeah. and, and Lead councils, by but invest and in it, kind and of investing in, yeah, and, and but that's and, and the I think whole. They are to a, they are to a certain extent, yeah. but I just even like, I mean, how many shots of crown cars do we use on the news um, all the time? And just seeing that visibility, wouldn't that be such a good mm. look for New Zealand? Just to me, it seems like something that you could invest in, and I just don't see how you'd have a whole lot of opposition to it. It would pay for itself over time. Um, and I just think, you know, maybe you wouldn't be able to have them in yeah. some of the more rural it, communities, et cetera, et cetera. But just start, get it going. Yeah. Um, Mark Dauder at um, Newsroom, there's a, a good, he wrote a good article, sort of a scathing critique of the government's lack of action mm. around the transport industry and a, around a lot of initiatives that it's sort of championed and then backed away from, like this fee bait scheme, which may still be, you know, resuscitated who knows but yeah he, he sort of spouted all out the different initiatives that they've sort of looked at and then and then backed away from and done very little mm. yeah. look i've got a segue for us to our next talking point so when we talk about new zealand first and national fighting over who put the kibosh on this ev scheme we've seen actually quite a bit of that sort of uh competition and fight for the territory of 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 uh, uh, the space that they share in terms of votes so i'm talking about the center right space um and so we we saw National come out earlier this week and say, hey, when it comes to Australians, uh, we're going to introduce a, a similar policy um, to their immigration um, policy where we'll kick some of their most serious offenders out um, as they do with us and that, as they've been doing with us for a long time. And I think a lot of that is targeting voters here in New Zealand, even though um, it's a policy that will sort of target Australia. Uh, it'll target the voters here and specifically those who New Zealand first will be after as well. So I think what we're seeing is a lot of fight for that sort of middle ground, that sort of centre voter, centre right voter between New Zealand First and National. And I think that's what Ausdeport was all about. Yeah, and the two arguments here are Simon Bridges coming out and saying, well, look, if they're going to treat us like that, we'll do that too. We're not going to be, and we're not going to back down. The other side of it from the Prime Minister is saying, well, look, if the argument is wrong, why would we repeat it back to them? And also the numbers of Australians here compared to New Zealanders living over there are so small in comparison. So it's a really interesting um, foreign affairs issue uh, and one that will be highlighted. The Prime Minister flies out tonight um, to uh, meet with Scott Morrison and that, that's obviously number one on the agenda. And if, I mean, if we brought in a bad character test for the Australians as well, I mean, what's it going to mean for their cricket team? <laughs> yeah, I like that. That's good. You know? I mean, that would be awful, like turning up and just having the black caps send, there with no one else send to play them, Send them in the sandpaper home? Yeah. <laughs> but look, I think, really you know, I think we heard when we interviewed people out on the streets, a number of them were saying if they're doing it to us, then we should do it to them. And this is about, you know, um, uh, Simon Bridges looking like he's providing some strong leadership on this issue. They want us... They want a leader, perhaps, um, who will stand up to Australia when we feel like we're being hard done by. Feel like that, you know, when we talk about such a close friendship between our two countries, and, and, and yet they're still doing that to us. They want to see some sort of strong leadership on that, and I think that's going to be tapping into a couple of voters. Let's touch briefly on coronavirus before we wrap up. This has just been one of those mm. issues that has 
just been such an umbrella over the stories that we've been doing over the last couple of weeks. It's it's a massive story with massive flow on effects for us here in New Zealand. And just, I think when you're sitting back and looking at what it means for um, the global economy and then what it means for us in terms of tourism and what it means for us in terms of education, like we've had quite a few really interesting discussions in the office this week just about how one thing like this can have such a ripple effect. And who knew that it would be a virus that was going to dent the economy this year. It's just those things we can't see coming. So just a, a really fascinating topic with so many implications. Yeah, and I actually um, had a little look back in, in history at another virus which caused mayhem in New Zealand, and the 1918 Spanish flu, and look at the impact it had on on Parliament and on New Zealand. So in two months, in late 1918, 9,000 Kiwis died from the Spanish flu. It killed the leader of the Labour Party, Alfred Hindmarsh at the time, and this was before National was formed. It also killed a Reform Party MP, David Bjork. They actually kept Parliament sitting, um, but they wouldn't allow the public gallery to sit open because the um, disease was so virulent ah. and, and wiping out um, so many people. And uh, another interesting little fact that I was reading about was Toe Henaday, was his name, who was the great-grandfather of Toe Henaday, the uh, you know, recent former MP, he turned his home in, up in Auckland into a hospital to uh, basically uh, treat people after his wife had died up there. Mm. Mm. Interesting. Good facts. Similar to a number of marae who open their doors when we have, you know, um, you know, states of emergencies around yeah. the country and, and mm. civil emergencies and the likes. Benedict's fun fact of the week. Maybe and that interesting be to thing. hear the Prime Minister, though, earlier this week saying it's not a matter of if coronavirus will come to New Zealand, but a matter of when. Um, and interesting also to hear her outline exactly what we've got stockpiled in the back yeah. room for when that happens. And there's even talk yeah. now that the Olympics might not go ahead, right? Yeah. Which is massive, and that's what I mean. Out. Like, mm. it just just such a flow-on effect of things. Imagine having to either reschedule or find another location for the Olympics. Yeah, like let alone all those athletes who are aiming to peak, yeah. you know, have spent the last yeah. three and a half years aiming to peak for this. Like, their know, whole lives, that, yeah. Over those several weeks yeah. or the it just, right? it, this, it's... Mm. It, blows my mind it's mm. yeah. I think I find it fascinating we might have to leave it there because I, I think, think we've so. got someone else wanting to come into this room today alright let's wrap it up so this was One News Inside Parliament a weekly catch up about the political stories we've been covering this week we're on Instagram Twitter and Facebook it's available around this time each week on One News Online and check us out on your favourite podcasting app yeah.